Let's pray together. Lord God, um, I'm going to pray. I'm praying this morning that you would work and grow and develop in us uh, humility. I want us to savour humility as a church together as we see it in the Lord Jesus himself. Father, as we gather around these words of Mark chapter 10 together this morning, would you by your spirit do a powerful work within us? Move us, Lord, closer towards the servant-hearted humility that we see in Jesus this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> the Lord has put a real desire on my heart, I think, this week, perhaps more, more so than, a, than in other weeks, to speak on this subject of humility. I want us to be a humble church. I don't think I've spoken on this subject since uh, we started last September, September 2020. But we're looking at these words of Jesus from Mark chapter 10 in our, in our series, in uh, the life-giving words, the red letters, the life-giving words of Jesus. We're continuing in our series as we head towards the cross, as we head towards Easter and Holy Week in a, in a week or so's time. I want to think about this morning the topic of humility. I want for us to long for, to pray for, to eagerly desire humility in our lives and in our lives together as a church family. And when I say that, let me just say what I'm not saying. Um, when I say I want us to be a humble church, I'm not saying I want us to be small necessarily or inconsequential or of no significance or, you know, under-resourced. I'm not saying humble in that sense, like a humble little church that's not doing very much, that isn't, you know, have much, much going about it. I'm saying whether we're small or big, whether we're 50 or 500, whether we're well-resourced or not, whether we're planting 10 churches or none or whatever, whatever our influence in the town, I want us to be a humble church. And what I would say is this, you know, a large church, which is well-resourced, which does plant churches, which is influential in the town, if a church like that is proud, it is a very ugly thing and an anathema to the way of Jesus as we see it here in Mark chapter 10. So I want to I wanna put humility in front of us as the scriptures do here, front and centre, uh, in our life together as we set out, and I want to keep doing it, um, that humility is at the top of the agenda for us as a church family. Really, really important. So I'm not saying we want to be small. I'm also not saying, here's the other thing I'm not saying, I'm not saying I want us to be free from the accusation of pride that the world might sling at us, or the world might sling in the church at the church in general. When I look at Jesus, when we look at him, we are looking at humility incarnate. He is the essence of what it means to be a humble human being. And yet he was charged with blasphemous arrogance. That's what the uh, religious leaders of his day said. Let me read you John, John 5 verse 18. For this reason, the religious leaders tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They hated that. They thought it was blasphemy. They thought it was deeply arrogant and they wanted to kill him for it. So the world will 
make the accusation of pride both to Jesus and to his church. They may say we're small-minded, proud, arrogant, bigoted, whatever. But it's not actually that, it's not the, it's not the accusation of pride that I'm wanting to talk about and deal with here. It's the reality. It's the reality of pride in our lives. And it's not so much that um, the accusations of pride I'm worried about. It's that I'm worried that they'll land, that they'll stick if we actually are proud. And so when I say I'm looking for a humble church, I'm not saying we're going to be free from any sort of accusation. But what I am saying is I want for when people do come amongst us and they, dis- they come amongst us and they spend time in the church and they see us up close, that they discern a true spiritual, authentic humility in our life together as a church. That's what I'm praying and longing for. And now let me read, let me read this passage from Mark 10, this wonderful passage. And as I do it, just notice how Jesus is speaking in the first instance and then what the question is that the disciples ask him and how he responds. Such a great little passage, this great little moment in Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read from verse 32. So here we go. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12, that's the 12 disciples, aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, the way I'm just going to go through this passage is with these little headings. I want to talk about humility. I want to say humility needs and loves help. That's the first thing I want to say. It needs and loves help because humility recognises that we need a deep rewiring. That's the second thing, a deep rewiring in our hearts 
And then thirdly, in order to get that rewiring, we need to see humility even in the life of God. Okay, so those are my sort of my three points as we go through. Okay, humility loves help. Let me show you how I'm seeing this. So Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to flog me. They're going to spit at me. They're going to mock me. They're going to do all these things. They're going to kill me. Right? He's talking about the way of the cross to his disciples. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come up to him and they say, well, they say, first of all, they say, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, which is an amazing thing to say. Fancy starting your prayers like that. We want you to do for us whatever we ask, Jesus. And it's amazing, even at this point, that Jesus doesn't say, what? <laughs> or even if he just, even that he didn't go, hang on a second, do you guys, do you guys want to, you know, come at that with a slightly different angle? Even here we begin to see the servant-hearted Christ. Look at him. Jesus here says, verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? Even that's amazing. And then they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So Jesus has been talking about how he's going to be flogged and spat at and mocked and killed. And they're like, ah, yeah, um, Jesus, by the way, we want to be at your right and we want your left. We want to be, the, we want to be in these places of prominence. Yeah, we know about the other ten disciples, but we actually want these places of prominence. Can you guarantee those for us? Because we want to be in the places of honour rather than those guys. Now, it's almost comical. But it's here for us in the scriptures, I think, to show us just how blind we are to the pride in our own lives, right? Such that even when these guys, James and John, when they're faced with Jesus himself talking about the cross, they cannot see it, they're blind to it, all they're interested in is jostling for position and vying for the positions of honour. And so doesn't that relate to us today, right? We can be people who are people of the Bible, right? We've got the Bible front and centre. We're people of, of preaching the word. We're even, we stand in an evangelical tradition which is crucicentric. That's one of the distinctives of evangelicalism, that we're centred on the cross. And we're presented with the cross every time we meet. Maybe when we take communion, maybe when we do small group Bible study. The cross can be front and centre for us, and yet we cannot see the pride in our own lives. And all the while, we're turning up to church, maybe turning up to our small group, doing all these different things, and we're looking over our shoulders. Am I getting respect? Am I known around here as a someone who's, you know, am I, are people looking to me? Am I getting the, you know, am I getting the recognition? Am I getting the roles? Am I getting the leadership? Am I getting what I need? Am I getting what I need out of all of this? Are my, needs being, are my needs being met? We can walk around church just like that. And we can't see it. We don't see it. Even though the cross, even though the cross, there's crosses all over our church when we go in there. There's a massive cross outside. There's a cross right inside on the rood screen. Crosses everywhere. And yet we walk around that building. If we're not careful, if people don't point it out to us, we'll walk around looking for, am I getting what I need out of you guys? Are you guys, you know, respecting me and serving me in the way I think I ought to be right now? Humility knows and loves help and knows we need it and we need others. It needed, right, these two disciples, James and John, needed the others, the other ten, to become indignant with them, right, over this question that they'd asked Jesus. 
and for them all to sit at the feet of Jesus together and learn from him. And you know, we need that too. We need each other to get indignant with us when they see pride in our lives. That means we've got to get close as a church family, doesn't it? We've got to be close to each other. People have got to see us in all our reality, <laughs> in all our day-to-day -day life. They've got to see it. And then they'll spot it. They'll see those things. They'll see the pride coming out. Hopefully they'll become indignant. They'll point it out. And together we'll sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him and learn true humility. But that's what it takes. We'll be blind to it ourselves. Humility loves help and knows it needs the help of others to root out pride. Secondly, humility loves help because we recognise we need a deep rewiring, a really, really, really deep and profound rewiring in our hearts. Let me, let me sort of show you why I'm saying that from, from this passage, right? Here's the next thing that happens in the story. <laughs> so they've asked this question of Jesus and Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink the cup that I'm drinking, uh, I have to drink, and the baptism that I'm going to be baptised with? In other words, he's talking about the cross again. He's talking about the cup of suffering and the baptism of judgment that he's about to face. So we're back onto the way of the cross. As Jesus is saying, can you, can you walk that path? Are you able to go that way? Are you able to follow me in this cup and in this baptism? And of course they say, yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. And Jesus then says, well, actually, okay, that will be asked of you. You will be required to drink that same cup. You will be required to take that baptism. In other words, it's going to, this, 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 you're going to follow me in the call to whole life servanthood and humility that is entirely self-giving. That question will be asked of you and, says Jesus, your response to it will determine what happens in my kingdom. Because he says, to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. In other words, your response to this call on your life for whole life, giving of yourself entirely to servant-hearted humility, to the service of others all the way down, your response to that will show whether you're, you're, you actually see servanthood as a way of life or whether you see servanthood as just a means to something else. Let me explain with a, a little illustration from McDonald's. I don't know if McDonald's still works like this, but uh, I think it did at one stage. In McDonald's, basically, they need a lot of people to do and very servant-hearted tasks for uh, for very little money, right? They need people to do the lettuce, they need people to do the tables, they need people to do the burgers, all that kind of thing. But you do those things for, for not a lot of money and it's very hard work because there's a promise that if you do that, then gradually you'll work up to, I don't know, the tills. And then if you do that, even, even though that's still quite hard, you might move on to the, the drive-through or you might move on eventually to become the restaurant manager. And when you get there, when you get there, then you decide who does the lettuce. You sit in the office at the back there and you figure out who's doing all the, all the difficult servant-hearted stuff. Now you're the one who gets served. Now, the kingdom of Christ is not like the kingdom of McDonald's. 
which is like the kingdom of this world. It is not saying what you need to do is you need to be servant hearted for a little bit. Like you, you work at being servant hearted for a few years and then eventually you get to be the person who calls the shots. You get to be the person who says who does what. The kingdom of God is it's servanthood through and through. Right? The call on the life of James of John, right, to be baptised and to drink the cup that Jesus is talking about, is a call to servant-heartedness through and through. Not as a means to something else, but as an end. As a life, as a way of life, servant-heartedness. So it would be like, in the, in the whole McDonald's thing, it would be like Jesus is saying, do you know what's going to be asked of you? It's, you're going to be asked to do lettuce as a way of life. It is lettuce all the way in the kingdom of God. Not as a means to something else. It's not, it's not you do this for a bit and then you get the place of prominence. It's the kingdom of God is lettuce all the way. Now, that is jarring. Really, you know, when I thought about that, I just thought, even as I thought about it, even as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, wow, that is a hard pass. That is a difficult, that is a really difficult thing to swallow. I am used to, I am wired for the kingdom of McDonald's. I am wired for, I put in the yards, I put in the hard graft, I do the servant-hearted stuff, and then I get the place of prominence. Then I get the authority, then I get to call the shots. Right? But that is the kingdom of the world. And Jesus is saying, I am calling you to a kingdom of servanthood through and through, where servanthood is the prize. That is the goal, where it's all about the service of others. That's, that's what it is. And so um, that is why it is such a profound and powerful work of the Spirit in our lives. Can you think of anything more profound, really, honestly, that turns someone like me from a person who does stuff in order to get Right? I'll do the servant-heartedness, because I, I, I don't know about you, when someone says to me, Mike, you're going to be on lettuce, right? my tendency is to go, what, for 10 years, 20 years, 30, how long? All right, fine, what, 40 years, 50 years, how long? But eventually, right, there's, I'm going to move on, right? I'm, I'm eventually going to step up to the next thing, right? and then I'm going, to be, I'm going to be the one who says who does the lettuce. And it's like, no, no, you don't get it. The kingdom of God is lettuce all the way. And that's why it's such a profound work of the Spirit for us to switch modes, to switch out of this thinking that, that servant-heartedness is somehow just some means to an end when it is the end in itself. It is the life that Jesus planned out for us and is calling us to. And that is why, this is my third and final point, that is why we need to see it in the life of God. And that's what we get when we read these next words. So the rest of the disciples, they become indignant and they say to, um, uh, Jesus calls them together and he says to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high, their high officials are fit, um, exercise authority over them. In other words, these guys, the Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles and the high officials, they put in the hard service, they do the long years, they do the graft, and then they get to rule, right? That is, that is the kingdom of McDonald's, it's the kingdom of the world. That's what they do. Jesus says, verse 43, 
Not so with you, to his disciples. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave. I mean, Jesus couldn't have chosen words there that were more potent. Servant. Slave. If you want to be great, Jesus is like, you want to be great? It's about being a servant. You want to be first? It's about being a slave. And then he says, right, and here's, here's where he like switches here and he says, here's your motivation. Here's, here's, how, here's how you're going to get that rewiring in your life because that, that is a tough call. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For many. The Son of Man... Daniel 7 was this figure of great glory coming on the clouds of heaven to whom is given all authority and dominion and sovereign power and the nations are his. That is the picture of the Son of Man that was in the disciples' heads in first century Palestine. And then he says, the Son of Man, that Son of Man that you're thinking of right now, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you imagine God saying, <clears throat> how do I show, how do I show off my godness? How do I show the world what true greatness really is? Can you imagine God asking himself that question? How do I show this off? How do I show the world what true godness and greatness really is? Got it. I will die on a cross, in the service of the people I'm trying to save. I'll, I'll die to redeem them, to serve them in this act of utter self-giving love and sacrifice. And then they will see what true godness is, what God at max strength is, what true greatness is. They will see it when I die on a cross. And it melts our hearts, doesn't it? It melts our hearts to see it. When we see that in God, that true greatness is servanthood, self-giving humility that serves, pours out God's own life for our sake, it melts our hearts. And it, that is the power, it's there, right? Mediated by God's spirit worked in our life by the Holy Spirit that begins to do that long work often, very long and difficult task of rewiring us out of that kingdom of McDonald's where we think we serve in order to get someplace into the kingdom of Christ where it is all about service through and through. That is it. But it takes a powerful work of the Spirit and we need the help of others. The Spirit is going to use other people in this church family. It requires us to get close to one another. It requires us to see in each other things that will make us feel indignant. But at that point, we sit together at the feet of Jesus and we continue to do it. We pray there and we ask the Lord Jesus to continue to show us more of himself, 
more of the great Son of Man who gave himself as a ransom for many. And as we gaze at that, think and ponder on that together, we sit at his feet. The Spirit may work in us and grow in us a true spiritual humility, such that when we come to church, it's no longer about, what am I getting out of this? Who are, the, are these people going to respect me? Are these people going to see me for who I really am? Am I going to get that position? Am I going to do these things? Am I going to get those jobs or whatever? And we begin to say, come to church, come to a small group, come to wherever it is, a part of our church life, and we're saying, what can I do? How can I serve here? How can I be a blessing here? Who am I going to help here? Not for, not for like Sunday or for five minutes on a Sunday. Not for five years, not for 10 years, not for 50 years. As a way of life, as a way of life that Jesus is calling us into. As a way of life that he's modelling for us as he dies on the cross. As God himself shows us what true godness, what true greatness is at max strength as he dies on the cross. In the service of us, to serve us and redeem us, to pay the ransom price for our lives. Church family, let's pray for the work of the Spirit in our lives like this. Lord God, I pray to you that you would uh, help us to see your greatness and glory and power and dominion, the authority and all the nations coming to you because of your sacrificial service on the cross, of you giving yourself in all humility to us as you give yourself, Lord Jesus, for us on the cross. Holy Spirit, please achieve in us and build in us a rewiring. Take us out of the state that we're in. Help us to see our blindness. And Lord, we need each other for this. We do need each other to help see where our weaknesses are and where our pride is. And then, Lord, we need to sit at the feet of Jesus together, Sunday by Sunday, in our hubs, in our small group system. We sit at the feet of Jesus together and learn from him and draw deeply from the well of eternal life. Lord, please, we pray, would you do this in us and help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.